Boom! What's going on, guys? UFC Fight Bananas post-fight show, UFC 285. Normally, I come in really hot and heavy and super ecstatic. And not that I'm not, but I just wanted to ease our viewers into this because holy fucking shit, did we just see, first off, one of the best cards of the entire year, but two back-to-back co-main fights and main event fights that shocked my entire equilibrium to the point where I couldn't even stand up properly for the first five minutes after each fight. My entire core was shook. John, John Ramakan, obviously my confidant, my partner, the greatest co-host a man could ever ask for, brought to you by Fight Bananas, post-fight show UFC 285. What the fuck did we just watch, John? We just saw two, like you said, back-to-back, not just back-to-back, because even before that, Jeff Neal, Shavkat Rachmanov, what a great fight. The entire card was great. Top to bottom, there was maybe only one fight that wasn't that good. The entire card had bangers, like legitimate bangers, four or five fights that could have been legit fight of the night contenders on other nights were literally tonight, like you said, the co-main event, Alexa Grasso shocking the world. I definitely called that with all the guys that I was watching because everybody was talking about Valentina had, you know, legitimately every advantage on on Alexa Grasso and everybody was kind of overriding her just kind of like Juliana Pena. But I just kind of, you know, threw it out there. Hey, everybody looked overlooked it, but all it takes is one little, you know, one little moment. And that's all it took. One little moment. Alexa Grasso got the back of the queen of the throne. Valentina Shevchenko choked her out. And man, what a choke. It was. And then, like you said, main event, John Bones Jones. It almost didn't even get to settle in because only two and a half, three minutes in, he got the mounted guillotine, made Cyril Gon tap out three years back. John Bones Jones is back, heavyweight champ of the world, and he's got Stipe coming up next. What an excellent card, top to bottom. Now, obviously, we could we could probably do this show for two and a half hours and break down every single fight because tonight was absolutely amazing. And if you are a diehard fan, like I know most of you Fight Bananas people are, you probably watched every fight since 4.30, which means you've been watching for a total of eight hours worth of fights. Hey, give a round of applause to all the viewers because it, we wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff without you guys. And shout out to the viewers we got right now. Please go ahead. If you guys have questions for us, throw them in the comment section. If you guys have comments, if you guys have anything you want to say, throw it in the comment section. We'll try to get to it as much as we can. But damn, John Jones, like you said, three-year hiatus. There is no question in my mind and no doubt in most UFC members' mind, love him or hate him, John Jones is one of the greatest fighters ever to step foot inside that eight-sided circle, which we call the octagon, okay? And I don't know what anybody thought was going to happen. I know how confident Cyril Gon was. There was a lot of hate and a lot of love towards John Jones coming into this fight. A lot of people thought that he looked unathletic with the weight that he has gained, obviously normally fighting at 205. Came in today at 248 and maybe 248 and a half. Um, I got to go back and check the numbers. So he actually weighed more than Cyril Gon did. Now, Cyril Gon, as we know, is a goddamn gazelle out there at the heavyweight division. One of the scariest guys to fight. That's why he earned the shot to fight Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title. Okay, there's a reason he was in that octagon with the best of the best of the best of the heavyweight division. There's a reason that he beat Derek Lewis, who is one of my favorite fighters just because of who he is, not necessarily what he always brings to the table. But 
he made Derek Lewis look really bad. Then he got the chance to fight Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou in his fight, good fight, ended up the way it ended up. Um, you found out Francis Ngannou ended up having bad knees during that whole thing. Still got the dub. Um, but that that is not anything off of Cyril Gaon. That just really lends to the greatness of Francis Ngannou. So then Francis leaves all that scrub. You and I have talked about that. In comes John Bones Jones. First off, John Bones Jones comes from a bloodline of athleticism that people only wish people people only wish that they could have in their family. Vikings is how I would describe these people. No, he doesn't look like a Viking, but the bloodline of great warriors. His brothers Chandler and Arthur Jones, who both played in the NFL. Fantastic. Chandler Jones led the league in, in sacks last year in the NFL. Arthur Jones, I believe, was an eight- to nine-year vet in uh, for the Colts and many other teams in the NFL. And then you have John Jones, who's arguably the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. So, yeah, I hands down, I would love to be from that bloodline. Takes a three-year hiatus. Obviously had amazing fights against DC at the end of his career, not the end of his career, at the end of his reign in the light heavyweight division. Then we weren't really sure what was going to happen. There was there was a fabled bounce against Brock Lesnar. There was fabled bounce against Francis Ngannou. Obviously the Ngannou thing happened. Cyril Gaon becomes the guy who's going to take him on. This was a fight I was so excited for since they named it months ago. John, we've talked about it on the show before. Then it happens. March 4th. Today was the day. Holy fucking shit did John Jones blow our expectations out of the water. Out of the absolute water. Not only, and the, the bad thing was, John, we didn't get to watch enough. It's like that. I will give you a sample. Only the Red Lobster cheese cheddar biscuits. That's it. No that was it. And I only got through half of one with some butter on it. That was it. I didn't get to get the whole sample course. I didn't get to get the tower platter. I didn't get to get the seafood fucking extraordinaire. All I got was the cheddar biscuits. And guess what? The cheddar biscuits apparently blew my fucking mind because John Jones came into this fight against one of the greatest fighters in the world. And I don't think that's even a question. People don't look at Cyril Gaon as somebody who just happens to be at the in the right space at the right time in the heavyweight division. He is feared because of the way he got here. And John Jones steps into this fight today and made him look silly. And I don't I, and I want to talk about this fight before we go on to the legacy of John Jones. So what was your what was your uh feeling in the lead up to this fight, John? Huh. Both of you guys are named John. Lucky for you. I don't not that lucky to have that name. So, but what was your feeling in the lead up to this fight? And then what was your overall takeaway from such a short showing? So a lot of people kind of questioned the girth of, of John Jones, right? Yes. For, for lack of a better term, maybe not being as muscular. I thought it was an excellent move because when you just put on straight muscle, you're actually wearing yourself out a little bit more. And like John Jones alluded to in his post-fight interview, he's been wrestling since 12, 13 years old. That's his bread and his butter. And especially as a heavyweight, when you have a little bit extra poundage, when you can Get that clinch and you can use that weight to get on top and stay on top and wear on your opponents. That's just more of an advantage for you. So I think John Jones did an excellent job of the way he weight, you know, the way he put on the weight and how I think he's going to use this weight, which is dominate in the wrestling department, 
wear on guys and just make them immobile. And once they're immobile, I think, you know, like you said, we didn't get to see it tonight. But once he's able to make somebody immobile, even if they're able to get back up, he's going to be able to tag them and maybe even have that speed advantage that we know John Jones has, right? And the great thing about the heavyweight division is fighters can always fight later into their careers in the heavyweight division because it's more of a power-oriented division, right? And with John Jones, with his octagon IQ and the way he's able to dictate where the fights goes and knows where his opponent's weaknesses are and exploits those weaknesses, he's a very cerebral athlete. And on top, like he's able to use his, like you said, physical gifts that his entire genetic bloodline was gifted with to use that on top of his IQ in the octagon is just something that it's it's just really good to see, right? You said it's one of the greatest or the greatest of all time that we can start talking about. We'll talk about a little bit after the legacy. But for tonight's performance, like you said, for him to dominate Sarogan, get on top of him, get into mount just very seamlessly, very seamlessly take him down, tie the legs up, almost like great find the legs, and then get into that mount position, get that guillotine, choke Sarogan out, and made it look easy. Like I said, less than a round. We didn't get to see all of it. But we saw a very dominant John Jones against one of the best heavyweights that we've seen in a long time. So it was an excellent performance by John Jones. And hey, he's back, right? John Jones is back. Johnny Jones is back, baby. And, and like I said, love him or hate him, you cannot deny the the output that he has put out there, the the uh, record, the absolute dominance that he has showed from start to finish, from coming in, I believe, as a 19 or 20 year old. Uh, being the the youngest being the youngest champion ever in the UFC, then taking a three year hiatus after his iconic reign, and then coming in and showing exactly that he has not lost a step. And in fact, in a new division, in a brand new division, being forty pounds heavier than he's ever fought before, coming in and putting on a dominant performance against one of the most feared guys in the entire division outside of Francis Ngannou. I just like I was absolutely stunned, and and like I said, this is the this is the problem with fans. Like obviously, you and I comment on the fights, but this is a problem as a spectator. I wanted it to go longer. I wanted to be able to see the striking of John Jones. I wanted to see how he fought as a forty pound heavier fighter. I wanted to be able to see the wrestling, which we did get to see, and clearly he has not lost a step now. This will be a quick trivia question for you, John Ramlakan, Mr. Man who knows a little bit about everything all the time. Do you know where John Bones Jones went to college? I do not. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a little, little uh, history lesson real quick. John Bones Jones went to college at Iowa Western University. Ever heard of it? Probably not because it's a junior college. When I was in junior college playing football, we actually played this school because they're really good at football as well. You know who else went to that school? Colby fucking Covington. Colby Covington and John Jones came from the same junior college. Both of them, I believe, were junior college champions in wrestling. And we didn't see a single drop-off from John Bones Jones' championship wrestling pedigree in this fight tonight. And again, I can't talk about how uh, enough about how I wish we would have gotten to see more. The fact that he was able to get a guillotine choke sitting on top of Cyril Gon's lap in the full mount position up against the cage so seamlessly, we're spoiled. We're spoiled as spectators, John. We're spoiled because we want more to see when we just saw one of the greatest things I think I've ever witnessed in MMA history. Outside of like 
when Rose Namajunas knocked out Joanna Jacek in the most unbelievable underdog performance in the women's division, this is kind of how that felt. And it wasn't that John Jones was an underdog, but it was just the the performance on such a high stage with such high expectations. And you come out and put on a performance like that. Holy shit, man. Holy shit. Yeah, the magnitude of the performance, like you said, to do it on such a stage, on this magnitude of all the the culmination of all these different things coming into into play, right? You're going up a weight class. You have three years off. You're going 40 pounds heavier than you normally. Like there's these are a lot of different questions that are being asked about the transition into heavyweight for John Jones. Is he going to have the speed advantage? All these different questions. But, we, you know, maybe we answered some of the questions, but the performance was so dominant. We still have some more questions because now we're just we, we know he's dominant, right? Like now we know, OK, there's well, he's next. He's going to fight Stipe next. And, you know, I think that's going to be a pretty easy matchup for, for John Jones, in my opinion, you know, just because of that. So the question then becomes, does this just become John Jones division for the next couple of years until maybe a Tom Aspinall gets healthy and is able to rise up or some, you know, one of these younger heavyweights, a Sergey Pavlovich, like, is this going to be John Jones division for the next couple of years? And is, is he going to reign just like he did in light heavyweight? And are we going to see the cementing of a legacy of the greatest fighter of all time? Like that is now what the questions that are going to be asked moving forward. I mean, it's scary. Like this, this wasn't just a, man, it was great to see John Jones back again. It really opened up, like you said, so many questions. What's next? How long can he keep this up? Was this a one-off? Doesn't look like it. It looks like, I mean, when you come, like, let's say, let's just say this fight was against anybody else in the heavyweight division, okay? And he comes out and do that. People would have given him the excuse of, well, he wasn't a champion, and John Jones is a former champion, so we got to wait until we see what he does against somebody with a higher pedigree, somebody like a Cirogon, somebody like a Stipe, somebody, you know, insert whatever name you want. It doesn't matter. But it didn't happen that way. They gave him the title shot right off the bat, and he came in and made it look easy. Proved and him right. Say what? He proved them right by just getting into that title shot immediately they, by saying, because some people were saying he needs, you know, a warm-up fight. He needs a tune-up fight in the heavyweight division. People were talking about that, and he proved them, or he proved everyone that was saying that wrong, and he proved the UFC right by giving him the title fight immediately. Exactly, and anybody who has doubts has nothing to say now, which, I mean, if there's anything you want as an athlete, it's to shut up all the haters, and that's exactly what John, Do John Jones has done. And he's really been doing it his entire career. Like I said, we can talk about, I mean, it would take us two and a half hours to really dive deep into all of these. I mainly want to cover the main card because there were so many good ones. Um, we can maybe drift into the prelims. I don't even really want to get into the early prelims. Me and John might make this into a double show, one today, one tomorrow, to really give you the entire uh, you know, breakdown of this whole card because if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was about 14 to 15 fights. I mean, this was a stacked card, one of the best ones we've seen in I don't know how long with not only the names on the card, the amount of belts up for a title grab, but also just the star power, even on the early prelims. So, um, but we're mainly going to go down the main card right now. Obviously, John Jones gets the submission win over Seal Gone, takes the heavyweight title belt, in a three-year hiatus return that everybody was excited to see. The one that shocked the world, that shocked 
the world, John Ramlikan. Valentina Shevchenko, women flyweight division, been champion, which seems like my entire life, essentially, versus Alexa Grosso. Valentina Shevchenko loses via submission, via sub to Alexa Grosso in a fight which I believe, and if you go back and listen to the commentary, Shevchenko was looking fantastic. It was a simple mistake, and or I, I want to say it was a mistake, but really it was an excellent capitalization from Alexa Grosso on a misspinning, uh, a misspinning sidekick from Shevchenko, in which she was actually able to take her back, jumped on her like a spider monkey, and was able to sink in the rear naked choke. What was your uh, breakdown of that entire performance from both from both fighters' side? Well, man, like you said, just from the start of the fight, Valentina started off in the first round with a lot of kicks, right? You saw kind of the difference in of the arsenal between the two fighters because the kicks were coming in heavy from Valentina. But even early in the fight, in the first round, Grasso had a beautiful left-hand right hook that was that was absolutely like a great shot that landed very clean on Valentina. And in the second round, Valentina was actually able to use that wrestling. That was the second and third round, really, was Valentina negating the striking of Grasso by making her hesitate of using that striking. And whenever Grasso tried to strike and presented her hips, Valentina would take her down, get her into top position. But I want to give credit to Alexa Grasso. She didn't fold when other fighters folded. There was many times where Shevchenko has gotten other fighters into a crucifix position and they've given up. They've gotten elbowed in the face and they've gotten TKO'd. Alexa Grasso did not give up in those positions. She kept fighting. And even though she was, you know, seemingly getting more and more behind the eight ball, right? Or more behind, you know, more behind on their scorecards. She still kept herself in the fight and gave herself a chance. And in that fourth round, like you said, Valentina goes for that spinning back kick or the spinning sky kick, like you said. And it's just, like you said, the capitalization, the ability to recognize that she's going for a spinning attack. And I'm not sure if this is something they maybe had, you know, trained in the camp, knowing Valentina is very talented and is capable of all these different, you know, variety of attacks, including the spinning back fist that she threw, including the spinning, you know, the high kicks that she she throws as well, right? Maybe she was able to see something in the game plan coming in. Excellent capitalization. Hopped on the back. And man, the choke, it wasn't even under the neck, but it was on the chin. And it was so tight that uh, that Valentina had no choice but to tap out. Because like I said, even though it wasn't under the chin, the squeeze was so tight, she had to tap out. Alexa Grasso, another Mexican UFC champion, and another one that came and is, you know, very scrappy, fought through, made it, you know, fought through a seemingly invincible champion. Like when we first saw Davis, Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, we never gave, we didn't give Brandon Moreno the chance that he deserved. And these Mexican fighters are all showing, even when the odds are against them, they're going to step up to the plate and they're going to take the opportunity when it's there. Alexo Grasso did that tonight and she is now the flyweight champion of the world and she deserves it. There's going to be a little, you know, there'll be, there will be a rematch, but man, for tonight, Alexa Grasso was on top of the world. Viva Mexico! I'll tell you what. Uh, it was the African champions. It was the uh, uh, Usmans and the Adesanyas and uh, Ganus who were taking over the UFC last year. Watch out. This year, Mexico is putting themselves on the map. Grasso, Moreno, 
You just wait for the next people because it is coming. Yair Rodriguez interim. There you go. Yair Rodriguez interim champ. So uh, th- that's why I have you on the show, John, obviously, because you can always cover up my mistakes and I love it. But, <laughs> but uh, no, when you look at that fight, Shevchenko was beating Gar- Grasso. She looked good. You even listened to the commentators. You listened to Anik and Rogan and, and Cormier. They were talking about how dominant she looked. And in the middle of the fight, I even said, she's so well-rounded, she's unbeatable. Then my doorbell rang. I ran upstairs to grab my pizza and wings. I come back downstairs. Shevchenko is in a headlock with a guillotine, and I'm, like, freaking out. Like, I know that I woke up the neighbors, I promise you, because of how loud I was yelling with just the amazement of what I stepped back into from when I left the fight for nearly 30 seconds. And to your point, I'm not sure if that was something that Grosso in her camp was training to take a look at the, at the spinning sidekick against the cage. And that was really the big thing. Is Shevchenko is known for throwing a lot of really interesting uh, backup against the cage strikes. And I don't know if Grosso was looking for that specifically, but the way she played it was spectacular. Sidestep to the right, able to get on her back, like I said, like a spider monkey, to take a little quote from uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Bobby, freaking uh, Ricky Bobby there in, in, in Talladega Nights. But it looked so seamless, the way she was able to take her back, sink the choke in, and then get the sub on somebody who we in the fight said is unbeatable. Congratulations to Alexa Grasso, new champion of that division, uh, of the women's flyweight division. I mean, I I can't say enough about that performance to somebody who I believe was losing the fight. Yeah, she was absolutely losing the fight. I do think that the first round was arguable. Like, it was definitely a very competitive round, and you could have given it it to Alexa Grasso. Um, You know, but the rest of the fight, like you said, Valentino was dominant in all assets, right? Grasso was having her moments, you know, starting to maybe land the jab and kind of do some things, you know, here and there. But well, it was few. And the jab, uh, Shevchenko's jab was landing left and oh. right on Grasso. And that's what was so, like, that was just par. That, I mean, that was A1 for Shevchenko's game. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But you, you brought up the jab and holy shit, Shevchenko's jab was looking spectacular, quick and snappy the jab, the low kick, the body kicks by Shevchenko. And, you know, like I said, or was going into the rounds two and three, it was just getting further and further behind for Alexi Grasso because every time it would seem like she would maybe start to put a couple of combinations together, boom, takedown by Valentina Shevchenko. And it showed how well-rounded Shevchenko was and how, just like we said, just every facet of the game, the striking, the well-roundedness, the grappling, Valentina had her beat in every single department, but it was just taking advantage of a moment, taking advantage of one situation that allowed her to pick up the win. Not necessarily that she's more talented than Valentina or that she's a better grappler than Valentina, right? She just took advantage of a moment that presented itself. And now because of that, she's the world champion. And that just shows why even in your when you're in the bottom of a crucifix, you still fight. You continue to try to get out, even though previous opponents have given up. That's why you try to give out because now, opportunities present themselves. And when you're prepared for those opportunities, that's when success happens. And that's what happened for Alexa Grasso. Shout out to Howie in the comments. He said it was far closer than anybody realized. Shevchenko was obviously winning, but not by that much. Grasso was uh, was game and was never out of it. And, and Howie, you're completely right. I, I mean, it wasn't that Shevchenko was so dominant. 
but it was the fact that she has been so dominant that you get that. Uh, it, we heard it on the broadcast. It's what you call the Tyson effect. When somebody believes somebody is so dominant that they actually tend to be biased, even when they're looking at what is going on. Now, granted, Shevchenko was winning, but Rosso was finding holes in her game left and right that were little and they were small, but they were effective. And how they were effective ended up giving her the dub in the end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the end, and you saw the same thing with John Jones. Now, granted, John Jones obviously got the win. It's same thing with that Tyson effect. You, you're kind of so scared of the great white shark in the, in the waters for so long. that, And maybe we saw that from Cyril Gone today. It didn't affect Alexa Grasso. Maybe it did affect Cyril Gone. We don't know. You know, it, it could just be the fact that the great white or <laughs> – the great black, John Jones. <laughs> we have to call him the great black shark, dude. And we even had a baby shark on the card tonight. But, yeah, no. It's John a killer whale. Alexa Grasso, congratulations for taking down one of the all-time greatest women in the entire mixed martial arts world. I mean, such a great performance. Uh, moving on down the card, you had hands of steel, Jeff Neal versus Shavkat Rachmanov. And this was one of my fights that I actually put up there with possible fight of the night contention. It was back and forth. Jeff Neal was not able to put away Shavkat Rachmanov in the end. Shavkat was able to get the submission win in the last, I believe it was under a minute left in the fight. But Shavkat Rachmanov had some holes in his game that Jeff Neal was able to exploit. And he didn't seem to tire as much as I think Shavkat wanted. Also was able to do a really good job on the takedown defense, was also really doing a really good job on his grappling defense for somebody in Shavkat who's one of the greatest wrestlers in that entire division. And yes, I know his, his career is still uh, kind of remains to be seen. He is undefeated, still 17-0, and 0, so his O has yet to go. But Jeff Neal really, I think, uh, kind of exploited some of, some of Shavkat's game. What do you think? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, definitely got to give some credit to Jeff Neal for tonight because, like you said, Hands of Steel is his nickname, but Iron Will is what I saw tonight because even when he was getting choked out, the man did not go down until the referee called the fight. He was stayed standing all night long. The takedown defense was in, was so impressive. Like, he was able to stuff all the takedowns by Shafkot. And like you said, they showed, it showed a couple of holes in the game, right? This fight kind of reminded me of, Hamza versus Gilbert Burns, where we kind of saw the invincibility shield kind of come down a little bit. We saw, you know, maybe them be a little more human because we talked about Hamza and Shavkat being these guys that, you know, are almost like unbeatable because what they were doing. I mean, Shavkat still 17 and 0 and 17 finishes. That's still yes. an incredible it's resume, great. right? I believe it's what it's nine knockouts, eight submissions. I do believe that you're correct. Yeah, I do believe you're correct. But like you said, Howie, and like you said, he needs to learn from a lot of things tonight because um, I'm going to skip forward to the third round, right? Because th that's when Jeff Neal really hit him with that right hand, left hook that really that stunned Shavkat, almost put him out. Shavkat was able to recover and then land the right hand that put Jeff Neal out essentially, put him up against the cage, was able to land a couple clean shots and then get that choke. With that step over that allowed him to keep that position in a nasty kind of side manner, which was a beautiful, you know, beautiful choke. But like you said, the couple of holes that I saw in Shavkat's game is he just keeps his head very high, right? He doesn't really move his head a lot, and he's very hittable if he's not knocking his opponent out 
with the first couple of strikes that he's throwing. And Jeff Neal did a really good job. Of course, his boxing is very, very on point. He did a good job of keeping his hands up most of the time. Shavkat did get a kick that cut him in the first round. That was really nice. And I think it was foot to head right over that right eyebrow. But um, other than like, you know, as far as the striking defense for Jeff Neal before the knockout, of course, he was doing a very good job of covering up and then countering with really good hooks that were getting really close and then eventually landed on Shavkat. So there's a couple of holes that I think he needs to improve on. I think he needs to move his head a little bit better. He needs to chuck his chin a little bit more, stay a little bit lower, be a little bit less hittable, right? He's an incredible fighter. And I think top five, you know, a top five ranking is something that we can see. And him fighting for a title is something that we can definitely see in the future for his career. But I think there's a couple adjustments that he needs to make. And I think this is a great fight for him because even though, you know, he got, let's say, quote unquote, exposed or we saw the holes in his game. He still got the finish. He's still taking away the win. And now he can take all these lessons with the win, continue to move forward and improve. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that was the biggest thing. Yes, he he was exposed, but not so much that it actually ended up hindering him and getting him the loss. He is going to learn from this, especially if he goes and be- goes back and watch the tape. Jeff Neal was able to find some holes in this game. He had great boxing, was able to land some big strikes. I thought it was close up until, obviously, Shavkat got the finish. And and even at that point, Shavkat was going to get the win. But it was the best fight I think we've seen an opponent fight against Rachmanov the entire time he's been in the UFC. So uh, previously beat Neil Magny. Now he comes in and beat Jeff Neal. He's got a thing out for Neal's. I don't know what it is specifically about them, but maybe he's just not a fan of the name. Either way... Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov extends his winning streak and undefeated streak to 17-0 and 0 tonight. Then we go down to uh, Mateus Gamrot versus Jalen Neal. I'm sorry, Jalen Turner. <laughs> now I got Neal on the brain. Uh, uh, Mateus Gamrot versus Jalen Turner. This was a great fight. I actually liked a lot of it. Jalen Turner proved that even though Gamrot wanted to take him to the ground, he kind of had that Derek Lewis effect where it seemed like he could get up at will whenever he wanted. Now Jalen Turner being a very tall, very lengthy uh, fighter for that lightweight division. He came in and put on a good show. In my opinion, I thought Jalen was the more impressive fighter for the strikes he was landing. To me, it seemed like Gaprot's game was, let me take it down and try to lay on you. Because even when he was getting the takedowns, even though Jalen Turner defended quite a few, he wasn't really landing much damage on the ground. He also wasn't doing much with the positions that he had. That, to me, was a little disappointing for somebody in Gamrot's position who is a very good fighter, who has shown previously that he has very dominant positioning. But to me, Jalen Turner really kind of neutralized it. Maybe maybe Gamrot was just having an off night. I'm not sure. But to me, the more impressive fighter or the person that was a little bit more exciting to me was actually Jalen Turner. It ended in a split decision going Gamrot's way, but it was just kind of boring in my opinion on Gamrot's part. Yeah. As far as, you know, maybe the damage, right. We didn't see as much of the damage coming from the side of Gamrot as we did coming from the side of Turner. Turner's strikes definitely had a lot more impact. We saw Gamrot actually get hurt from the strikes of Turner um, but Gamrot's con- or Gamrot's control time and his ability to take him down, I think that's really what played into factor for the win tonight. And foul one asked, you know, who's Shavkat's next fight? So we'll talk about that a little bit later yeah. about who we think Shavkat, you know, should fight next. But as far as this fight goes, um, I think that you know Jalen Turner, like you said, was very impressive because we saw the striking ability 
and you know what he can do on the feet and just because like or just with that length and that you know lankiness like you said he's Jalen the tarantula right very fitting nickname for him so he's able to use that length really really well we saw some really good strikes he had Gamrot hurt at some times but Gamrot just with the natural wrestling ability was able to take him down get on top of them and on t- except for the second round where he was able to get that crucifix position and yeah. get some ground and pound on Jalen Turner like you said, most of it really wasn't as much damage more so as it was control. So I think you want to maybe see that layer improve for Gamera when he's able to get the takedown, get that little more ground and pound. But all the nonetheless, he was able to get the win. Jalen Turner coming in, of course, on short notice as well. So uh, impressive fights both ways. And this might be one of those fights that fans take a look at and they might bring up the judging aspect of, does damage mean more? Does control time mean more? You know, and that's that's you know that's for uh, fans to kind of debate here and there. Like I said, we obviously know who the winner was, Matus Gamrot. We know what the fight we saw was, which was it seemed like Jalen Turner was the more exciting fighter. But at the end of the day, he was controlled and he was able to be controlled, even if the controller wasn't doing as much and wasn't as exciting as much. Uh, and that's why a casual to this sport might say, hey, Jalen Turner won that fight, and I totally understand it. Maybe you do have a point. As somebody, obviously, between you and I who have watched this sport quite enough and understand the ground game and actually get excited by ground game uh, technique, you know, it's going to be a different opinion. I'm, I can totally see. If you wanted to make an argument for Jalen Turner, I could see it. If you wanted to make an argument for Matus Gamrot, I can see it. And that's just the problem that we have at the end of the day. Either way. Deuce Gamrock gets the win. Good for him in that lightweight division. Then we go to the fight that started off the entire main card. Starting at 9 o'clock, Mr. Bo Show, Bo Nickel himself, versus Jamie Pickett. The Nitley Lion, Mr. Bo Nickel out of Penn State, fighting Jamie Pickett. Before I even get into the fight, I want to know what you thought of Bo Nickel coming into the fight and what you were expecting. And did you see exactly what you were expecting? Or were you more excited for Jamie Pickett? No, this is more so what I was expecting um, when I went to Icon FC with Dave. Um, you know, shout out to Dave for actually letting me get to that event. Appreciate you, my man. Uh, but when I went to Icon FC, Dave was actually able to get an interview with Bo Nickel. And, you know, a few of the things that Nickel said, obviously, we know about the wrestling credentials. But we also saw that he was able to kind of use that wrestling to set up the strikes in his last fight. I think in the Contender Series when he was able to use that overhand. But um yeah foul one said Boba Fett can essentially hard to analyze and it is hard to analyze because you know Jamie Pickett was such a large underdog right and he's not necessarily a great grappler or necessarily you know any of these he's not great at anything it's, it's particular he's a great you know fighter that you put on a card to be entertaining and he's had entertaining the fights before but he's not necessarily great at any one thing per se so the grappling aspect was always going to be there for Bo Nickel and like you said or he was able to just get on top, dominant performance, arm triangle, easy peasy, one, two, three, done. It was easy for Bo Nickel. And I'm just curious to see now what's the next fight for him and maybe kind of what's, maybe he's going to, once he faces a heavy grappler, maybe Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, what he's going to do with that kind of challenge. The thing that I saw from Bo and trust me, I was so excited. First off, not only because Bo Nickel's also a fellow ginger and I'm, you know, I'm me. For those who can't tell, I'm also quite the ginger myself. So ginger's got to stick together. I'm a big Bo Nickel fan because 
I love dominant wrestlers, especially guys who go to a college sport and are able to make a career out of out of the next step. And forever, college wrestling, unless you're going to the Olympics, you didn't really have a career after this. And that's something that you and I, I think, I believe both talked to Randy Couture about and UFC legend Randy Couture was the the uh, avenue now for college wrestlers to really transition into a mixed martial arts background that gave them an opening to make money in their career. The thing that they've trained their entire life on, which college wrestling is one of the hardest scholarships to gain in the first place, to now be able to go out and make money off of the skill set that they've been crafting their entire life. So Bo Nickel was a huge excitement for me coming into the night and obviously did not disappoint was able to take Jamie Pickett down pretty seamlessly, was able to slide into that arm triangle once he finally got it cinched up. It did take him a second because Jamie was fighting pretty hard about it, um, which obviously understandable. <laughs> but Bo Nickel was able to slide in, get the arm triangle, get the submission at about three-minute mark uh, against Jamie Pickett. The sky is the ceiling right now, or the sky is the limit, I guess, for, uh, for Mr. Bo Nickel because – what he showed today, again, it's not huge on what we can take away from – I mean, we can sit here all day and analyze any of these fighters, and at the end of the day, we're probably still wrong. But this was such a little teaser. This was the appetizer that we wanted, and we wished it would have gone a little farther. Instead, Bonifle came in, dominated, got the submission win in exactly the fashion most of us who have been watching has come up through the Contender Series, through the UFC, have been expecting – What's next for him? I mean, how fast do you think this kid can rocket up the ranks? Yeah, so maybe you want to see him face uh, a legitimate grappler now, right? That's what you want to see him face. I think now you don't want to see him, you know, obviously in the contender series, he wasn't facing necessarily the greatest grappler. You know, you've seen him face uh, a guy that was predominantly a striker, right? So I think when it comes to that, maybe you want to see, you know, Treshawn Gore, right? Treshawn Gore is a name that, has has the grappling you know a little bit of grappling has that power um and has the name value too so you can throw that together and maybe that would be a fun fight or maybe Hadolfo Vieira right coming off a loss versus Chris Curtis great jujitsu um specialist as well so I think those are a couple of good options maybe you throw a couple of those guys in there and you have a fun little grappling exchange yeah I would love to see him go up against a grappler half of me also kind of wants to see him go up against a striker just to see how dominant his uh neutralization can be against somebody who can be a top 20 top 15 fighter uh purely from striking that would just be interesting to see the dichotomy of striking versus grappling which one's better which one can be more successful and which one can neutralize the other um either way the entire main card fight i thought uh you know outside not even outside of the jaleel turner fight with the with gamrot but the whole main card fight had me pretty much like this the whole time. I mean, hands on face, doing the home alone, because we just saw so many good fights. Yeah, absolutely delivered. Like, this was a 9 out of 10 for me, or maybe even like a 9.5 out of 10. I think maybe you throw in one more flash KO in there, right? Or something like that. But this was an excellent, like, main card. Like, if you paid for the pay-per-view, which I absolutely did, you definitely... Uh, got your money's worth for for this card because like you said the return of john jones absolutely showing out alexa grasso shocking the world an absolutely great fight you know dominant fight um by bo nickel we saw just a lot of excellent performances tonight uh shafkat rachmanov jeff neal excellent fight 
not spoiling the fight of the night picks, but what? Maybe, potentially. Um, but great fight overall, great main card overall. And even the prelims, holy crap. What a what a fucking prelim. Like, geez. Yeah. And and honestly, I want to get to it. Unfortunately, uh, Blake, I'm going to have to cut the stream a little short tonight. But I would like to get back with John uh, tomorrow and give you guys a breakdown of a little bit of everything else from the prelims and the early prelims, as well as a preview of what we're going to see in the weeks to come. But um, overall, because I because it's going to be a little hard because we didn't go over everything else, from the main card, give me your top performers and why. From the main card, you have to go with Alexa Grasso. She stuck it out. She was able to beat the, the you know, the flyweight goat, right, of the female division. Like, you know, you go out there and you have a performance like that. That's the performance of the night. Uh, heavy underdog, probably busted a lot of parlays. So great performance by Alexa Grasso. She gets my performance of the night. And I'm absolutely down to talk about all these prelims, except the Cody Garbrandt fight, because that was a terrible fight. <laughs> Warren fan? Not a fan at all, and probably going to see uh, his opponent get cut too, if we're being honest. We have seen some interesting cuts lately, but no. Um, I think my performer of the night is, obviously I'd love to take uh, Alexa Grasso, but just to be the uh, the contrarian here, I'm going to go Bo Nickel. I just think the way he was able to dismantle Jamie Pickett in, in the fashion that he did it for somebody who's really getting his first chance to cut his teeth in the UFC here, that was fantastic. And he left nothing on the table and proved all of the people that have backed him that they were right. So shout out to Bo Nickel. Obviously, I could give it to John Jones if I wanted, but he's the GOAT. Everybody knows he's the GOAT. So it's not as surprising, I think, as people want it to be. Obviously, I'm shocked because it's a three-year hiatus. We just haven't seen the guy fight. But my big performance of the night, at least for the main card by itself, going out the Bo Nickel. Yeah, so like you said, as far as the main card goes, that's that's definitely where it's at. I mean, and well, I think a, an excellent idea is to talk about some of these prelims tomorrow because yes. Drake's two plus C's and Derek Brunson had a great fight. Amanda Hebas, excellent fight. Marquez and, and Marc Andre Barriol, that was a fun fight as well. And as far as the prelims, Ian Gary showing out, we had great performances even early in the fight by Tabat. Tabitha Ritchie, Ritchie. Uh, Loic Rabzabadov, uh, and Farid Brasharat, the, the you know, bantamweights. Like, a lot of these fights were excellent, and I think we have a lot to talk about. So I think we'll tease a little bit about, like I said, with just what we talked about right now, but I think we'll take it a little bit deeper tomorrow. want to thank all the guys that have, or all the, the, the guys and ladies who have tuned in tonight. Thank you guys so much. All the commenters, Foul One, Remy Struggles, everybody else. Thank you guys so much for commenting. Shout out to you, Howie. Again, go check out Paul over at MMA Shark up there in the corner. He is the sponsor for uh, Fight Bananas post-fight show with me and Mr. John Ramlakan. I'm Blake Schneers. He's John Ramlakan. Thank you guys so much. A big shout-out to Dave Van Auken. We're going to try to give you guys another show tomorrow. This is going to be a two-parter for us. Um, it is getting late, especially. I know it's about 2.20 where John's at right now, and it's about one 1.20 where I'm at. So um, we got some things coming up. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. And check out tomorrow – we will be live again on StreamYard, on YouTube, on Facebook, giving you guys a breakdown of the entire UFC 285. Until then, shout out to Fight Bananas. Thank you, MMA Shark. And John, as always. <laughs>